This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right, thank you very much. And hello again, radio friends. How in the world are you? Everything all right at your house? Well, I trust so. And as I sometimes say, if you struck a rough day, look up and say, Lord Jesus, see me through this one. And he will. Not all the days are rosy. Not all the days are wonderful. Nor the nights either, indeed. Some nights can be very lonely if you've lost a loved one. But whatever segment of time you happen to be going through, look up and say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. See me through. He will. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can depend on your Lord. This is your friend Bob Cook. And you and I are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, we talked about this matter of, of being ready for the second coming. You remember that? The last time we got together, we talked about that, to wait for his son from heaven. Why should we wait patiently? Well, number one, because he told us to. He said, occupy till I come. And uh, so uh, we're, we're promised a blessing for uh, a crown of, of uh, righteousness the, the Lord will give me, said Paul, and not to me only, but all to, also unto all them that love his appearing. If you're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a crown waiting for you, especially because of that. That's one reason for looking up and expecting him to come. But right here in this verse, he's given some, some reasons that are built in to wait from his son from heaven. Number one, the only hope of a fallen human race is a revelation from God. You can't pull yourself up by your human bootstraps. It can't be done. It takes God to save you. It takes God to, to cleanse you. It takes God to keep you. And it's going to take God to get you back home to heaven. His son from heaven. Second, you wait for the second coming because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why, why is that tied in there together? Have you ever wondered about that? Well, now, he says, Blessed be God, this I'm reading now from 1 Peter 1, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope. Now why and how? Has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the whole basis of any hope for the future is that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Count on the fact that Jesus is alive. Paul said that to Timothy, didn't he? Remember, said he, that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. You remember that? Second Timothy, what is it? Two, uh, remember that Christ. Two eight. remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Count on the fact that the Lord Jesus is alive. As the basis now, as the basis for looking for his second coming. 
he never rose from the dead, all of his promises would be in vain, wouldn't they? Exactly so. If Christ be not risen, ye are of all men most miserable, and your faith is vain, said Paul. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And there's going to be a resurrection, said Paul, and we shall all be changed in a twinkling in the in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Christ is coming again. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We'll get to that in our study of 1 Thessalonians. I just quoted some verses from the fourth chapter. Hey, your hope has to be based on the integrity of a living person. And it is. There's the truth of it. Whom he raised from the dead. Now, What's another basis of your hope for the second coming? To wait for his son from heaven, that was number one, whom he raised from the dead, that's number two, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. The fact of Christ's work in your life proves that you can trust his promise for what you don't yet see. He delivered us. The essence of the new birth is deliverance. The essence of the new birth is deliverance from sin and its penalty and its presence and its power in your life. He delivered us. And of course, deliverance from any judgment throne shall not come. This is John 5.24. Shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. You don't have to stand before an angry God with all your sins on you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. By his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed, said Isaiah. The price has been paid. The penalty has been paid. And the Lord Jesus Christ delivered us from the wrath to come. And because he has done something in your life, you can trust him for what you do not yet see that he has promised. That makes sense with everyday relationships, doesn't it? If a person has always kept his word through 10 or 15 years, you say, well, he's always kept his word. I think I can trust him for this. Credit, what we call credit, is established on that same kind of a track record. If you have always paid your bills on time, over a period of years, you come to the banker and you say, here, here's evidence that I've, I've paid my bills on time and met my obligations, loan me thus and thus many thousands of dollars. He'll think about it. He'll say, well, you've always kept your word. You've always met your obligations, and I think I can trust you for this. This is part of the basis for our expectation of the second coming of Christ. Why? Number one, he's God's revelation from heaven. Number two, he's alive today as the basis of our living hope. And, and number three, he's delivered us in those areas where we were slavery. He came, says the, writers, the writer to the Hebrews, to deliver them who all through their lifetime were subject to bondage through fear of death. He delivered us delivered them who all their lifetime were subject to bondage through 
fear of death. That's Hebrews 2.15. I just turned the pages. You probably heard them rustling, didn't you? He took part of the same, that is, the human, human nature, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Deliverance, see? So there you have it. Uh, the expectation we have uh, of the second coming is not just a wish kind of wishful thinking, but it is based upon the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has done something in our lives. Second Peter 2.9 talks about deliverance. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He can deliver you. He delivered us from the wrath to come. That is part of the basis of our steadfast hope of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised it. He has kept all his other promises. He's alive from the dead. He's a living Savior. And he is coming back again, just as he said. Hallelujah. Now, all of this that we've been talking about is set in the framework of Paul's uh, remembering how he came to the Thessalonians. They themselves, that is the people that heard about the faith of the people in Thessalonica, uh, in every place your faith to God is, is spread abroad. They themselves, the people who heard about what's happening in Thessalonica, show of us, of us, Paul and his company, what manner of entering in we had unto you. See, now he's been talking about that. He said, our gospel, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. And ye became, and you know what kind of people we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us, and then others became followers of you, and then the word spread around, and now everybody that's heard about what God has done with you show what kind of a ministry we had. Which tells me this, the acid test of whether or not I've amounted to anything in life is probably to be found in the lives of people who have been changed by the power of the gospel I preached. That's what Paul is saying. He said, my entering into Thessalonica resulted in changed lives, altered lives. You became followers of me and then others became followers of you and your faith was spread abroad. And there's a, there's a lot of changed lives as a result. The acid test of whether or not you've had a real ministry is to be found in lives that have been changed because you came along. And that doesn't mean that you'll always be spouting a string of gospel verses. Preacher, that doesn't mean that you'll only preach gospel sermons as such. There is such a thing as Christian nurture. You teach the whole Bible, specialize in expository preaching. Teach what the Scripture says. You'll have no trouble with what it means, and you won't get boring to your people. A topical preacher gets to be boring after a year or two. He runs out of topics. 
But an expository preacher never runs out of topics because the Word of God is inexhaustible. The acid test of what God has done in your ministry is to be found in the lives of people, people who've been changed by the power of God. All right? Now he's keeping on with this in chapter 2. We won't get a chance to get very far because time will be gone. But he said, Yourselves, brethren, know that our entrance in unto you was not in vain. But after we were we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Um, when we go on with this in the second chapter, we're going to see what Paul says about himself. Our entrance, not in vain, we had been shamefully treated, but we were bold. We were bold to speak. We were bold to speak with much urgency. That word contention means urgency in our uh, present uh, language. And he said our exhortation was not of deceit, it was honest, nor of cleanness, it was clean, nor of guile, it wasn't finagling. But we were allowed to, of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. There's a lot of stuff there that I want to take up with you in the coming days. Book, uh, verb, uh, verb by verb and word by word. We'll get at it, all right? The acid test is this. Whose life is different because you came along? Holy Father, today, oh, may we serve thee with hearts that are true. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.